Hi, everybody. I'm Dustin. I'm Anna. And we are not qualified to investigate the paranormal. But we might be less qualified than... The Pope. Pope. The Pope. We had a discussion about that. That's his main job, right? I don't know. I don't think that he would say that his main job is investigating the paranormal. <laughs> I don't see why that's so... Okay. <laughs> I don't see why that's funny, but I'm sure we'll have some Catholic listeners call in. Light up the light up the boards. Light up the boards. We're waiting for your call. <laughs> to yell at us. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. This is your first time listening in. Welcome in. And you came in at a very good time because we are just now kicking off our second season. This will be the first episode of our second season. Yeah, after an unexpectedly long hiatus. A long hiatus, a long break what do they call that so just hiatus i guess it's just hiatus sabbatical yeah didn't you sabbatical implies you're doing something very productive oh it does time well we were living life yeah living our lives yeah but anyway welcome back or something deeply reflective (laughs) uh i think we definitely were oh yeah life happened many many unexpected things and we're glad to be back Speaking of life happening and many unexpected things, we both have COVID. So if our voices sound a little rough, give us a break. This is just how you know we really wanted to come back. Yeah. We could have had, it would have been what reason number 99 to delay another week. And we didn't. We were like, we're doing this. We said Halloween, we're doing it. That's right. And here we are, very close to the actual holiday of Halloween. And as a matter of fact, it happens to be the subject of tonight's episode, Halloween. So there's lots of things we can talk about. When it comes to Halloween, there's so many facets of it, I guess would be the way to put that. There's many facets of Halloween. Lots of... It's it's the night that... It's the most paranormal night, right? That's that's the idea. Yeah, in, in like lay colloquial terms, the layer, the veil is the thinnest on Halloween. Not just colloquial terms. No. We're about to learn some history of, Hall- of I'm, Halloween tonight. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. Uh, no, there's going to be one story here, but it's it's kind of folklore It's not like something modern that somebody's seen or something that's really been recorded. We're, we're really talking about folktales, and I know we did this with Copenhagen, although the episode for Copenhagen hasn't come out yet. So keep, keep subscribed or whatever it's called. Know what it's called? Keep keep on hit that subscribe button. Smash that. Smash like that. Yeah, smash that like button. Okay. <laughs> Copenhagen's coming out soon. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, so this is going to be a little bit different. Where we're going to talk about kind of the history of Halloween. I'm going to tell you some stories about the history, uh, and then I will tell you one folk tale because it's my favorite folk tale pertaining to Halloween specifically. And is it paranormal? Oh yeah. Oh good. As paranormal as the Pope can get. And because it's such a broad topic, I didn't really prepare or do much psychology research for this one. Welcome back to our first episode of the second season. We didn't do really any research. <laughs> it's not really like any of our other episodes, but welcome back. Yeah. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. I I think it's good to preface it with that in case this is anybody's first episode. We'd like to bring our respect and expertise to looking at the non-paranormal side of the paranormal. Yeah. You know what? And to be fair, for the most part, we do that. Yeah. But we are coming up on the most playful, possibly the most truly paranormal night 
of the year. And so, you know what? We're going to be playful and we're going to be paranormally. Yeah. I love Halloween. So I'm not, I'm not unbiased. Yeah, no, I, I think it's both of ours favorite holiday. I think what sucks about it is that like for Christmas, you get like, you get like a week off of work in the States at least. Not really. I mean, most people still have to worry. They probably get like one day off or whatever, but effectively stuff shuts down. Stuff shuts down. But for Halloween, people are just like, I know. It falls on a Tuesday and it's like, yeah, whatever. This, this year it's on a Tuesday. Yeah. School's not even canceled the day afterwards. So kids don't get a break. Like, that always made me mad when I was yeah. a kid. But anyway, so, right. We're not necessarily going to get as sciencey in this, but we are still going to talk about some of the aspects because history is just full of them. Yeah. And of those truth bombs. Yeah. As I didn't know when you said Halloween is the topic, like, our, I don't know if we're going to talk about, you know, what do people experience more, quote unquote, paranormal things on Halloween night? Or, or if you wanted me to dive into why do people love to be scared? You know, like that, some of that we could talk about. Too. Yeah. I think maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but let's dive into these uh, stories and let's see what you, what you think, what your doctor brain thinks of. Tell me a Halloween story. In the shadowy mist of history, long before Halloween became the festival of costumes and candy, there was... Samhain, an ancient Celtic festival from which many Halloween traditions are derived. The tale begins as the last leaves of autumn swirled in the crisp air in the pastoral lands known as Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. The Celts. Celts, right? I think so. It's not Celts. No. It's not a basketball team. I should probably know that. It's only the Celtics with the basketball team. The Celts, a people both hardy and mystical mark the end of the harvest season and the onset of the cold, unforgiving winter with a significant celebration, Samhain, which commenced on the night of October 31st. It was a time when they believed the veil between the living and the dead thinned to its sheerest, allowing spirits and fairies to traverse into the mortal realm. So you see, it's already what they believed. I guess because the cold was coming? The cold comes from the spirit realm because it's cold and the dead are cold. Well, that's a good question. Like, why would it be at this turning point in the seasons? Leaves are dying. Like, you know, like seas are dying. Like, it's like, oh, the cycle of life is happening again. Yeah. That's I, my guess. That, my, my my thought is that those two particular seasons do demarcate a transition from life to what w- would be perceived as death watching leaves fall. Yeah. And then there and there, then you start thinking about death and you start thinking about the afterlife and then it's the veil thing. They lit great bonfires, their flames leaping towards the darkened heavens as if to ward off the chill of the coming months. These fires were beacons for the souls seeking their way back to the land of the living to visit the homes they once knew. The Celts, draped in costumes made of animal hides, sought to appease wandering spirits, offering them treats and sharing stories of the departed. Druids, the priestly class, for those of you who don't know who the druids were, presided over these communal fires, casting bones of slaughtered livestock into the flames as an omen for the future, a practice that would later evolve into what we know as bonefire or bonfire. Mm. So the bonfire is a Halloween tradition. They read the patterns of their remnants to predict the fortunes of those gathered, their voices rising and falling with the cadence of ancient rituals. As dawn broke and the first day of November arrived, the festivities would end, but its influence would echo through the ages. 
in the centuries to follow as Christian traditions melded with pagan customs, and saying that they melded with them is a very kind way of saying that, it's not what happened. Sawin transformed, taking on new shapes and names until it became the Halloween we recognize today. The ancient Celts could never have imagined that their solemn festival would one day morph into a night of merrymaking and mischievous delight for children and adults alike. Yet the essence of their celebration, the honoring of the cycles of life and death, and the respect for the eternal boundary separating worlds remains at the heart of Halloween, whispered in the rustle of autumn leaves and the flicker of jack-o'-lanterns on a modern All Hallows' Eve. And that is the beginning of most of our traditions when it comes to Halloween. Now I'm about to jump into the Christianization or the Catholicization of, of Halloween. That's it. So far, though, that's really interesting. That was a, a very condensed piece of it. And you touched on a lot of the elements of the modern traditions of Halloween. Mm -hmm. But from the gathering at night, I think being a, the base, like the, all the Halloween stuff happens at night. And then the trick-or-treating which you said was reflective of they used to make offerings to the spirit right. to help them guide them along their way. I think it's I like to, were... to guide them, but then also to be like, hey, if you want to cause mischief, it's almost like the trick or treat, right? Yeah. So if you're going to cause mischief, here's some candy, leave me alone kind of thing, or here's a treat, leave me alone. Yeah, and I thought there was a piece of, it's what I loved about what you said is the spirits of the loved ones, and right. it was designed to to make sort of make contact with them on the night when the veil is the thinnest. So it right. makes sense that people would have a motivation for being out, because I had heard that there was a, an element of the costumes had to do with well, on this night when the veil is the thinnest, there are also some evil spirits, or right? Demons, or oh, I think like so. monsters, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. if you're going to be out, you need to disguise yourself amongst them. But while also then trying to connect with your loved ones, it's really interesting. Right. I mean, you release that veil or you thin the veil and everything's there. Yeah. It's not all. But I, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know much about the Celts. I don't know if they, like demons are almost, I know uh, Hindu, there are demon. There are demons in Hindu religion. Uh -huh. But like, uh -huh. I almost feel like those demons are just spirits who might have a little bit of a mischievous thing. It's not quite as serious as the Christian religion. So in the, where a demon is a, like a, a foot soldier of Satan. Yeah. Right? That's like you're, they're that they're really only there to cause like, havoc. In pagan and Druidian belief systems, was there as a strong of a fear of evil? Right, I don't know. I don't know if things were seen in the yeah. dichotomy as much as they are in Christianity. Right. So that raises a really good point that maybe the, the costumes and the fear component of Halloween right. came in more with the Christianity. Like I could see the, the Celts because they were kind of very naturalist, right? So they believed that like nature was like a like their thing. So fire would be a demon, right? Because it can it can destroy, it but also yeah. it, it keeps us warm. Yeah. <laughs> and it cooks our food yeah. and you know, all kinds of other yeah. things that fire does. But And the jack-o'-lanterns is like a, a more of like a harvest connection with the fall that I would think too. Yeah, well, actually, that's the story I'm going to tell oh, is okay. where Jacqueline yeah, yeah. come from. As you mentioned, like, modern pieces. So I love that. It, I, another piece that made me think of that theme across various world religions of maintaining contact with your loved ones in the afterlife, either to help them move on or to honor them, mm -hmm. is is getting worldwide. So you see that in, in this the pagan beliefs that you're describing. You also see it in like Tibetan beliefs. You see it in Buddhism. You see it in Central and South American 
belief system, Santeria, and then like Catholicism that came in there too. People might think of like the the Day of the Dead that we could talk more about another time. But the, I love that kind of gl- like human theme of connecting with loved ones to help them or to honor them. That's Right. And we've talked about, you've talked about psychologically how people who have just suffered loss often see the loved ones that they lost. Yeah. Have, have visions, perceptions, dreams, or right. fleeting, like, oh, somebody walks, them. somebody walks yeah. by and it looks just like them. Yeah. 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 And then it's the, and we don't know why. Yeah. And maybe this is that, this is because that happens psychologically with us. And so there's still a rat, like there's, there's trying to find their way home. Yeah. You know, we need to let them know. We need to help them. And we need to let them know. Yeah, I think as thematically as humans, it's that grief is part of human nature as part of like, just what do we do with this loss and how do we relate to that love that continues for the people in our life? Yeah. So are you ready to hear the Christian injection? <laughs> <laughs> it put it very nicely that, oh, you know, eventually Christians came in and Wrapped up, they, yeah. Wrapped up this pagan tradition in a in a big warm hug. That's not <laughs> quite how things worked. No, no, no. Uh, the Christian church came, or the Catholic church came in and um, raped, pillaged, and plundered, Ooh. and then stole everybody's religious things to better assimilate religious holidays to better assimilate other traditions and other things. The appropriating of those traditions, right? Whether I mean, through oh. through violent or mandating needs or policy or or just gradually over time right here is how the christians or the catholic church kind of mixed all these together and how this whole thing comes about to now be the net the the modern day halloween that we okay. know in the tapestry of history where threads of ancient traditions intertwine with the spread of christianity there emerges the christianized commemoration of halloween a lot of c's in that sentence The story unfolds as the early church sought to supplant pagan rites with Christian feasts, weaving a new narrative from old customs. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints and martyrs. The sacred feast known as All Saints Day was also called All Hallows Day, with hollow meaning holy or saintly. The evening before therefore became known as All Hallows Eve. Makes sense. As the sun dipped below the horizon on October 31st, the villages and hamlets across Europe would stir with preparations, not for pagan festivals, but for the hallowed vigil. The devout lit candles and said prayers for the souls of the departed, a contrast to the Celtic bonfires that once burned to ward off the cold. The Christians, clad not in animal hides, but in simple garb of piety, attended church services and visited the graves of their local loved ones, leaving offerings of food and drink. It was a solemn remembrance of those who have passed, but also a celebration of the heavenly saints. The poor, in a tradition known as souling, would go from door to door, offering prayers for the dead in exchange for soul cakes. So it's like caroling. Like it's like waffling. We do this. Yeah. Yeah, So it's okay. You go, you go like door to door to get some liquor. With wassailing, right? Mm-hmm. It was great. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't know that song. Here we go, a wassailing, something, 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 yeah. Anyway. What would be the Halloween tune? Here we go, a souling. <laughs> so you know me, you know that I love cooking, I love baking. I do know you. Had to look up soul cakes. Okay. 
uh, I found the traditional recipe for soul cakes, which included powdered sugar. And I said, hold on a second. There is no way that powdered sugar existed when this tradition- And that poor people up. had it. And the poor people had it. <laughs> so I looked it up and of course, powdered sugar was really invented in the 17th century. By the uh, Pope, uh, I don't know who invented it. Okay. I guess I probably should have read that far into it, but I didn't. Um, Pope Gregory III was 700. <laughs> so a little, little far off. When did you say again that this was declared? Uh, Pope Gregory the Third declared it, and I just said he was seven hundred, seven hundred eighty. Oh, <laughs> you're saying he would have been seven hundred? Wow. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Was in seven hundred A.D. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, around the time that the Catholic, the Catholic Church had been around for. 680 years, something like that, like pretty close to it, right? We're not quite sure when, when that, I mean, I think it was, I think it was 40 to 70 years after the, no, Christ was born in zero AD, we think. Yeah. I think it was 20 to 50 years after his death that the church was truly formed. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for, I think for many of us and Americans to fathom 700 AD. Right. Um, where were we? Soul cakes. So soul cakes. Uh, I don't. I'll, I'll have to keep digging. I really do want to find like a traditional recipe for that. I, I I will, but I get the feeling like they're not going to taste very good because what did people have in 780 to cook with? Grain. Yep. <laughs> Great. That's one thing. So they would be. I mean, bread's cool. I would think like bread malt. Sugar. Like they could they could make malted sugars yeah. or beet sugar, yeah. but I don't think it would be like. This is calling for like cane sugar and all kinds of, and I'm like, I don't, so, not so butter. Like they that was were souling meant to like carol around offering blessings for people's. Right. So you, the more, the more prayer, like, so you would, you would get more people praying for your loved ones. Uh-huh. Anyway, if I find a recipe that I think is a true traditional one, I will make them. Yeah. Perfect. Otherwise they're just cakes. I mean, like, whatever. it's just like modern day, like I'm not going to make a little round cake with a cross in it. Because that's what a, it's not traditional. That's some made up thing that somebody was like, this is a soul cake because it's a cake with a cross in it. Right. You want to, you want to taste what? I want to taste what people in 700 AD ate. That's right. The original candy on trick or treating for sure. Okay. Back to the story. Okay. Over time, the night took on a more festive air, incorporating elements of the autumn harvest. The consolidation of festivities weaves through the traditions of bobbing for apples and sharing tales of saints and martyrs as well as the lives of the common folk. Children, and sometimes even adults, would don disguises, a vestige of the old belief in roaming spirits, now transformed into a Christian practice called guising. As the centuries turned, waves of Irish and Scottish immigrants brought their Halloween customs to the shores of America. The melting pot of the New World provided fertile ground for the old traditions to bloom anew, merging with the practices of other immigrant groups and the native population. The Christian observance of All Hallows' Eve, once a solemn prelude to All Saints' Day, gradually evolved into Halloween, a blend of devotion, remembrance, and community fellowship. The night became a time of prayer, merriment, and above all, a celebration of the enduring cycle of life and afterlife, held in the hearts of the faithful and the festivity of children alike. This confluence of old and new, sacred and secular, created a rich tapestry of Halloween that we all know today a night where joy and reverence walk hand-in-hand hand under the October moon. I don't necessarily agree with that last line. 
I think it's more about the candy. <laughs> that is the merging mm-hmm. of the... And it's funny, like, we still give credit in that story to the Irish and Scottish immigrants. Mm-hmm. It still is like, this was this was kind of their jam. Um, At least it geared more towards the Celts, I think, than it does towards the Catholic Church in that way. Where, sure, the Catholics are like, well, no, you can't call it, you know, uh, Samhain anymore. You have to call it All Saints Day. Mm -hmm. But you can still have it and still do a lot of the same things you did. Yeah. It sounds like their traditions were the ones that kind of survived. And my next story is actually proof of that. But before I get into my next story, any thoughts on on what I've talked about? Uh, Yeah, it's so interesting because now... It seems as if very few even Christian practices that you've described are included in most the every like the secular everyday holidays. Yeah, I don't know anybody who it's, does it's, this. Yeah. If you think about Christmas, it's pretty clear that even if you're sec- a secular person or or practicing it in a secular way or observing Christmas without Christ, as, said, as people would say, you still are deeply aware of that an element of Christmas like it's it's a pretty big part of it obviously it's in the name so now the paradox to me is that a lot of people who are pretty devout Christians might be on the extreme end like offended by Halloween or like don't let their you know would not let their kids be exposed to scary things or dark things or you don't want to tempt the evil kind of a thing I feel like growing speak, up speak the name of the devil and he shall appear that yeah, kind of but yeah I mean but I don't even I'm trying to think of like we we grew up in pretty conservative like southern baptist yeah. southern Christian area of the United States and I had friends whose parents wouldn't let them oh yeah read Harry Potter oh yeah or you know like look at any secular stuff or music friends I had family members who wouldn't do that yeah but I didn't have anyone who wasn't allowed to celebrate Halloween it's interesting because is what like even though I did almost all of those those Christian elements you described of the prayer and the the honoring of of even the Catholic elements honoring saints like that's pretty much no I not I definitely was part of a of a church group one time okay. where instead of doing Halloween they did their own thing and the kids dressed up like Bible characters and then they and then there was just candy okay so because and so what would they say was wrong with Halloween is it like did they oh dressing up like People dress up like ghosts. People dress up like demons. And, th- like, honestly, not really. I don't really remember anybody. I mean, every once in a while, someone would be, like, a, a ghost or something spooky. But for the most part, people were just dressing up like their favorite characters from some movie or TV show. Yeah, it's especially in the state. But you know what? That was all, according to this church, that was also kind of, oh, secular things. Or shouldn't listen to secular music. Right. Shouldn't watch secular TV. Right. Dressing up like that guy, you're Satan. That's false idolatry yeah. to, to put on a costume. You want to be MacGyver? MacGyver Satan. Yeah. You want to be Spider-Man? That's bad. <laughs> MacGyver doesn't pray. He just makes things out of the things that are around him. Yeah. So I don't Which know. is very resourceful. It's interesting to me that there hasn't been sort of a, like, take Halloween back or bring the Christ. Put the, put put the, the, cri- put put the, the hollows back, back in Halloween. Back Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. You know, like, we have so much of that here with Christmas. So Yeah. It's an, an interesting, maybe missed opportunity for Christian outrage. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring up Satan, Anna, because our next tale mm-hmm. is all about Satan. Would you like to hear it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you... I have not wanted to say, tell me. <laughs> Do you have time to hear about our Lord and Savior, Satan? <laughs> tell me a satanic story. 
Once upon a time on the Emerald Isle of Ireland, there lived a man named Stingy Jack. Yes, that's his name, Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack, sounds like a nice guy. Uh, he was infamous for his miserliness and his love for the drink. Right? <laughs> Can you be any more stereotypical Irish? Hey, I'm allowed to say that, okay? You also said that sort of a Chandler-y kind of way. <laughs> it's not like I'm giving him... Hey, he just passed away, okay, as an homage. Giving him Matthew Perry an homage. anymore. One fateful All Hallows' Eve, Jack stumbled upon a curious figure standing in the path. The figure's eyes glowed with a hellish light, and the air around him was unnaturally cold. It was the devil come to claim Jack's soul. The devil, with eyes like coal and a grin sharp as a scythe, addressed Jack in a voice that sounded like the rustling of dead leaves. Jack, your time has come. Well now, if it isn't the Dark Lord Satan himself, Jack slurred, a crooked grin spreading across his face. You've caught me, but wouldn't you agree that a man's entitled to one last drink before his eternal damnation? The devil, amused and always fond of a soul in despair, nodded his assent. One drink, Jack, he rasped, the sound like the closing of a coffin lid. Jack led the way to a local tavern, but upon arrival, he turned to the devil, his eyes twinkling with mischief. I seem to have left my coin purse at home. Perhaps you could assist an old man? So he's a poor free drink. Yeah. The devil, taking pride in his ability to manipulate matter, transformed into a silver coin. Yet, as soon as he did, Jack snatched the coin and tucked it tightly into his pocket, which also held a crucifix, crapping the devil. Release me, the devil thundered from within the pocket. Only if you grant me ten more years of life, Jack bargained. Ten years, the devil agreed, seething. But then your soul is mine. Ten years to the day, as Jack was again wandering the countryside, the devil appeared. Why is that? Okay. You so, know questions here. <laughs> if you know something's coming in 10 years, why are you wandering around? So this drunk Irish dude is just wandering around the countryside all the time? I, I don't know. Anyway. So he's stumbling home. Okay. He's stumbling home. Fine. Okay. He's wandering around. So the, the devil appears. Time to go, Jack. He said, his voice a promise of darkness. Jack looked up, feigning surprise. So soon, but before we depart, might I trouble you for an apple from the tree? The devil, seeing no harm and eager to conclude their business, which why wouldn't he see any harm at this point? Dude's already fooled him once. Just, just grab him. Just take, you're the lord of darkness. Just grab, okay. Yeah, this is my, I'm not impressed with uh, Satan's abilities. Yeah. <laughs> at any point during this life. So far. Your entire self into a coin. He's been fooled by a drunken man twice. <laughs> well, okay, we haven't gotten to the second part. But as he did, Jack carved a cross into the trunk of the tree, trapping the devil once again. How dare you? Roared the devil as he realized the trick. One more condition, Jack called up at him. You never take my soul to hell. With no choice, the devil snarled his agreement and was released. When Jack's life finally did come to its natural end, he found the gates of heaven closed to him as no soul as deceitful as his could enter. Desperate, Jack turned to hell only to find that the devil kept his word. Jack would not be allowed to enter the depths and claim his place. Doom to wander the earth, said the devil, without a place to rest your head. Then give me light, Jack pleaded, to
to find my way in the dark. The devil mockingly tossed Jack an ember from the fires of hell that would never burn out. Jack placed the ember in a carved out turnip, his favorite food, which he used as a lantern to light his endless wandering. The Irish began to refer to this spectral figure as Jack of the Lantern, and then simply Jack-o'-lantern. On All Hallows' Eve, the Irish would carve their own versions of Jack's lantern, placing them in windows or by doors to ward off evil spirits like Jack, or to keep other wandering ghosts at bay. When immigrants from Ireland and Scotland brought this tradition to America, the native pumpkin proved a larger and more accommodating vessel for the glowing coals, and so the pumpkin became the Jack-o'-lantern we know today. Every Halloween, these flickering faces remind us of Stingy Jack's Eternal Rome, a story of a man who tricked the devil, and in doing so, condemned himself to haunt the night with only his dim lantern to light the way. I love this story. Yeah, what do you love about it? Um, first of all, I don't know how much of our audience is Irish or of Irish descent, but I, I've, I am, and there are just certain themes within my family that I kind of get, and, and one of those themes is that Irish have the what what they call the gift of Barney, right? They have the gift of gab. They have the the ability to talk their ways in and out of any situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mostly, it's into situations with my family, but I do feel like this is one of those cautionary tales. Where it's like, yeah, you might be able to talk the devil into doing anything you want, but you shouldn't because this these sense of this is like a cautionary tale. Yeah, right. Where they're very crafty sounds negative, and it sounds what's the word like? I'm making fun of the Irish or or, or something like that. But um, I'm not. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, cunning. It's it's something. There's something about the way that specifically the Irish can talk. Charming, I think, would be a good way to put it. But also, it can get you into trouble, right? And I think that's what's going on here. Also, don't drink. Right? Don't don't drink so much. Yeah. Right? That's a that's a big theme here. Uh-huh. Um, but that this guy was so like even drunk, he was so crafty and being and and charming, to be able to fool the devil twice. <laughs> Which, like you said, like during it, it was like, this isn't, I don't have very much confidence in Satan right now, which <laughs> you shouldn't have confidence in Satan at all, right? Oh, no, I'm not, just not impressed with his trick. He's supposed to be the ultimate trickster. Right. I, th- I thought that's what the lore is. Or but no, it's Jack of the Lantern, and we all, we all kind of celebrate him. You yeah. know, we all carve these pumpkins and. To, and it, it, the tradition to carve them themselves is to keep the spirits away, including spirits like Jack. Okay. But I think it's more to, you know, the, I don't want to say the truth of it, but it's more to be able to tell a tale and to yeah. spread that. I mean, like, that's why we carve these turnips. To keep and, warning kids about. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me that it's like a turnip. You know, it was a, traditionally a turnip. Do pumpkins grow in Ireland? No, I mean, now I'm sure they have them. So you know what? My own, they do, but I, I'm pretty sure that pumpkins are... I don't want to say tropical plants, but they definitely grow a lot better in warmer climates. But there's a whole history there about why we eat pumpkin pie instead of sweet potato pie because there was a war, because of the Civil War, and like there was this like whole thing where pumpkins grew in the north, sweet potatoes grew in the south. Traditionally, sweet potato pie was what we ate, but then kind of as a middle finger to the south after the Civil War, we started eating pumpkin pie instead. Anyway, sorry. History. History and tradition. Yeah, sorry. That, so interlinked. That's my, uh, my my culinary fascination coming out again. I love it. I asked about the pumpkin. And the soul cakes. So we got soul yeah. cakes, pumpkin pie, all kinds of stuff going on here. But anyway, yeah, no, I love this story. I think it's it's just so cool. And I, I think it's so cool that it's something that we still do, that everybody does. And no one knows why. And it's based people. off of, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anybody knows why. And I think it's also cool that it's based off of Irish traditions, which in America, at least, 
the only thing we really know about is St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, right? it's interesting to me that, that what we're speaking to is that Halloween may, in fact, be as Irish in origin and even earlier right. Irish history than right. St. Patrick's Day. It's just so neat. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, and, and I should also caveat that the, the Celtic origin story is but one of many possible origin stories for Halloween. Yes. We, yeah. And there, there are many other, like, you know, ancient, Asian, ancient, Middle Eastern, ancient, other cultures who, American. Yeah, yeah. That do other, other things as well mm-hmm. that are very closely linked to, to this. But yeah. Again, it's one of those things where you look up how many uh, virgin births there are within religions, and there's numerous countless virgin. Like it's not just Jesus, right? Like if you look, it's just one of those themes that like a virgin birth is like so, and uh, is 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 very important and vital for a religion. It's one of those themes again. The the day that you celebrate the dead, or the day that you honor the dead yeah like that also themes happens. of grief themes of loss themes of how do we honor and relate to the dead themes of miracles the, the most powerful <laughs> miracle being a virgin birth or one of the themes of mass floods themes of destruction yeah there are definitely themes of history as well as themes of what do we as humans need to relate and i think halloween might speak to themes of seasonal change right. and especially that fall into winter yeah and the, the leaves are dying that, things are yeah. yeah so i love all that and i was thinking of the psychology of it might be that this is the time of year that that people are reflecting on those things and might not even notice that we have that need for a demarcation of the seasons that this is just one that's really when we know winter's coming and that can't comes with so much i don't know a game of thrones reference Intended, but that it, especially in North America, a lot of that preparation and storing up for winter and all that's going to come, all the work, you know, and that harvest transition. We need celebrations. We need things that make us feel cozy and warm and yeah, have fun doing that. And even more topical, you and I are both riddled with a virus right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have vaccinations now. Mm-hmm. We have Tylenol and ibuprofen. Uh-huh. We have ways to curb our symptoms uh-huh. so that we don't die of these very simple viruses. They didn't have that back then. They were geared, kind of preparing themselves for a season of death. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that we're in cold and flu season. Yeah. That's not new. No. Cold and, cold and flu or virus season or whatever you want to call it, like, it probably happened around October. Yeah. It probably happened in the same time frame. That's yeah. not anything new that's, that's you know, part of humanity. Viruses have been around since since humanity, probably. We knew you were going to lose people in the winter. Yeah. Whether one reason or another. Yeah. So yep. kind of going into that with a traditions and reverence or a demarcation of that period is, yeah. Now, the foods always come up around traditions and the candy and all that, but the aspects of the one holiday that's about being afraid, that's about here, modern Halloween, like about celebrating yeah. um, scary things. And what is it about? What is it about scary things? Uh, I had an undergrad in one of my classes do her research topic was very specific it was people who love horror and watch a lot of horror films so me yeah like okay. she was very interested in in you people <laughs> like you um so i i just really got to see her literature review and the way she designed her study but there are there is a small field of research on that interest in horror but also there is a bigger subset of understanding what happens to us psychologically when we get scared even if you don't have a love of horror that there's a thrill emotions are 
pretty basic if you categorize them. You have like your high intensity and your low intensity emotions. And then you have your high positive emotions and your high negative emotions. And they kind of cluster in those quadrants. So you've got your high intensity emotions like fear, excitement, right? Like, and and those are both, it's a negative and a positive, but they're both high intensity. And there may be similarities between those emotions in the brain and in the body. Mm. Um, so whereas on the flip side, you might have sadness, but you also have like calm and chill, right? Those might cluster a little bit in the body. So it's like, they're really akin to each other. There's an excitement that happens, especially right after you get afraid and you know, you're okay. Your body's still coming down from that, like adrenaline rush or the endorphin rush that comes in and it feels really good. So the sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight reaction we get when we're afraid, they come with positive neurochemicals to help us pump the blood oh, yeah. in our body to run, to flee and all that, those same neurochemicals and same muscular systems get activated when we're dancing or playing or having fun. So it's, especially when you know you're not in real danger, but when you feel it for just a brief second, you're going to get that really intense spike of those same neurochemicals and the, the endorphins and the dopamine after when you know you've survived. So there's a rush that feels really good to be scared and to survive it and to know you're actually not in any danger. People who may have a horror interest might like to feel kind of sensation seeking more often okay so i just need to take up skydiving to get over my love of horror films well you have to ask yourself which is less harmful <laughs> and i i think that's where sitting on my fat ass watching a <laughs> horror film i i think i've worked so i more so than that body of literature i know about you know trauma and stress and all that but i also know about helping people sleep and you have patients who would be like what do you do at night what do you what are you into? And they're trying, they have insomnia issues and here they are like, oh, I like to watch horror movies and I'll watch horror movies like into the night. And they're like, it doesn't, it doesn't scare me. And up here in your brain, you, yeah, you know, it's fake and you just like these movies, but there's a part of your body that still might be getting activated that is pumping adrenaline or stress chemicals that make it hard to sleep for a few hours. You know? I gotta be honest with yeah. you. You know, I've talked about it on the podcast before i love watching the compilations of ghost videos on youtube yeah like i love watching those yeah i that relaxes me i can sit i can fall asleep to those like in the middle of the day if i sit down and start watching it if i'm like in a certain position i will start to nod off i believe that in the S those especially because they are not edited by a group of experts designed to make them have the they don't have the music soundtrack they don't okay have light let's like, be honest with a lot of horror movies nowadays there's not any experts doing anything right. yeah right. it's not they're not that great i have shutter okay i've watched a lot of crappy films yeah lately. you're right maybe i should be asking people like how good are the movies you're watching right <laughs> that they actually high quality but i have i'll tell my students you know watch a scary movie put it on mute it's not gonna be nearly as scary there's just such a use of sound effects and things that are not explicitly fear-based but are, are implicitly designed to get it uh yeah human um, sensory cues for fear so i mean honestly i could probably fall asleep during hereditary like i didn't think that movie was very i thought it was pretty boring yeah, that and wit and i know people love both those movies so yeah what he calls about that one has a lot of stress yeah, Tony uh, Tony Collette, that's her name, right? Yeah, she's really good at. She's she's an amazing actress. <laughs> I she just like I she was, yeah, you're right. That would wake me up yeah, for sure. Right, right. But then after that, I would fall right back to sleep, right? Because it was pretty boring. Yeah. So I was talking just about you know you have to weigh how you get your sensations. You know. Yeah. You're not like you're not doing cocaine. You're not like doing things that could arguably <laughs> hurt you. Um, maybe. But I could try doing cocaine, cocaine and watch horror movies. Not that. 
You guys heard it here first. My wife said this was okay. But I think go, you know, put on a costume, go trick or treating. I think there's there's that. Uh, yeah, it's fun to be scared a little bit. Yeah, especially when we know we're safe. And and then there, I didn't even touch on the taboo. You know, so then there's kind of a almost not a sexual kink, but like a taboo of the horror genre. And some people really like that counterculture, not being the mainstream. But the themes that it touches on, I think that that's a big yeah. piece for you too. Yeah, we've talked about that before yeah. too, where it's a lot of horror writers slash directors can get away with a lot more horror films because there is no, there's not really any boundaries. Yeah. So you can have weird stuff happen and it be commentary on society and, and not be criticized as roughly as if you were creating the next blockbuster. So then we've talked about zombie movies specifically, your favorite genre, yeah. how that's just like huge, huge commentary on who we are as a society yeah, yeah, and I love what that. we're doing. And then I just think that's touching back on Halloween. That's a, a draw. Obviously the candy is a big draw for kids. Yeah. But the fun of costumes. But for adults, I think there is, it's kind of cool to have a, a night of the year that you can do some taboo costumes. You know, yeah. you can do things that you don't normally do in your day-to-day life, and that's that's fun for people. Whether it's scary at all or not, there's an element of that. You can touch on taboo things. Um, right. And that, that helps. It's like a release for people. Um, it's freeing, Anna. It's, fr- <laughs> it's freeing. I want to kind of bring us back to the what we do here on this podcast. None of what you touched on, and you didn't tell me any stories of paranormal activity actually being more frequent on Halloween night. Mm. And is that my challenge for next year? It, yeah, let's okay. break that the challenge, make that the challenge for next year. Because bringing it back to the the skeptical piece, if the origins of Halloween, whether they be the you know these pagan Irish roots or these you know more the Christian themes or any other parts around the world, this idea of the veil being quote thinner, wouldn't we have? story after story after story of hauntings or paranormal events and some we don't seem to have a lot of evidence of that being the case any more so on Halloween than any I haven't researched it so I can't answer that question what do you think of that I think it's a great question. I think I, I think it's a question that can be answered empirically, right? Well, w- there's certainly a... If there's going to be a night, many thousands and millions of people around the world would agree this is the night where things should be happening, and I don't know what they are. Okay, here's my promise then to our audience. Uh-huh. If something supernatural, paranormal, starts to happen to you and I during this Halloween night, then we will live cast. Okay. We'll turn on... Yeah. There's uh, We're on Podbean. And there's a way to do a live cast on Podbean. I'll figure out how to do that. And if it happens, then we'll we'll jump on. Okay. Uh, but in the meantime, we're having <laughs> very very uh, parents of young child right. Halloween. <laughs> we're all we do just go out trick or treating. We're not right. If children start lifting in the air, <laughs> witch right. comes by and snatches one. You know, right. any of those paranormal right. things. Oh, it's gonna be so cute. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the witch flying away with our daughter. It's hilarious. <laughs> And cute. Uh, yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, yes, that will be my mission for next year to have a episode where we talk about that. Yeah. I'm going to look. I'm going to. Okay. I'll I'll find. I'll get my access. I'll do it on Google Scholar if I need to. But I'll see if anybody's actually done this type of research. Oh, research. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot more on various traditions around, around the yeah. world that we could talk about, another, you know, more. Anyway, next year. I will do research. That is my promise to you, the audience, for next year okay. on Halloween. That's what we'll talk about. Thanks for that. Watch will forget, and then people will be pissed. People are probably already pissed that we took a three-month break. Well, you know, it was 
a paranormal amount of time. It was and a, and a, <laughs> at a very atypical series of events that happened in our lives. So thank you all for sticking with us. We're happy to be back. Yep. Maybe someday we'll start a Patreon where we talk about our personal lives and you guys can pay $5 a month to hear us talk about what happened. But uh-huh. until that time, thank you so much for listening in. If you have any stories that you want us to tell or want us to investigate, go ahead and shoot us a message to stories at paranormaloutsiders.com. Until then, we'll see you next week. Okay. Yeah.